Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you on this Sunday of the Passion, Palm Sunday. Uh, Good morning, church family. Good morning. If you are visiting with us, we welcome you here at Church of the Good Shepherd. Suffering is a problem in our world, an obvious problem. And if you have not yet dealt with the problem of suffering, you will. People reject belief in God because the problem of suffering is such a weight to bear. It keeps people from coming to faith in God because they ask such questions as, how could a good and loving God allow suffering in the world? Let me give you an example. One time evangelical Christian turned agnostic uh, professor of religious studies, Bart Ehrman, says this, We live in a world in which a child dies every five seconds of starvation. Every five seconds. Every minute there are 25 people who die because they do not have clean water to drink. Every hour, 700 people die of malaria. Where is God in all this? We live in a world in which earthquakes in the Himalayas kill 50,000 people and leave 3 million without shelter in the face of oncoming winter. We live in a world where a hurricane destroys New Orleans where a tsunami kills 300,000 people in one fell swoop, where millions of children are born with horrible birth defects. And where is God? To say that he eventually will make right all that is wrong seems to me now to be pure, wishful thinking. No matter how strong your faith in God is, you have to admit that the suffering and the cruelty and the injustice we see in the world poses a challenge to our belief in a good God. Is God good? And if so, why does he allow suffering? There are many ways to explore this very difficult question from a philosophical standpoint. But if you're a Christian or you're interested in the Christian response to the problem of suffering in the world, you have to look at the problem of suffering in light of Jesus' own death. And that is precisely what Passion Sunday centers around. Just a little aside, the word passion we think of... uh, of sensual desire or, or overwhelming emotional desire or uh, Calvin Klein perfume or something when we hear the word passion. But the original meaning of passion came about in the 12th century actually to describe Jesus' suffering. The Latin word passio means to suffer. It is why a passion flower is called a passion flower because it resembles a crown of thorns. So when we look at the problem of suffering in the world and we question it, It is important for Christians to look at the passion, the suffering of our Lord, and to ask what it means, and to ask if it makes any sense of the suffering in the world. Matthew tells us that after uh, that, at noon, a three-hour period of darkness descended over the whole land as Jesus hung on the cross, and we hear Jesus cry out with a loud voice, the word in Greek in, uh, implying that it was a scream, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is, as so often, here quoting the Bible. Jesus is drawing this from Psalm chapter 22, which we know as a psalm of lament, of which there are many, many psalms of lament, where the psalmists express their grief in despair, their frustration over the suffering that they are experiencing. They express their frustration with God. They express an experience of God's absence. 
But usually for them, their cries and their prayers are a request for God not to forsake them. But Jesus on the cross in this moment expresses that God has forsaken him. Why have you forsaken me? It is not just a feeling of abandonment. It is real abandonment. Because in the moment that Jesus takes all the sin and death and suffering and evil in the world into himself, the Father must turn his face away because he cannot be present to that because he is a holy God. And so Jesus is left to die alone in the dark. Notice it is not Jesus' physical suffering that calls him to cry out. We just heard through this passion narrative a long succession of Jesus going through much torture and insult and agony with the crown of thorns and being struck on the head with reeds and being spat upon. But he's quiet through all of that. So why is it that just now, before the moment of death, Jesus makes this cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The reason that Jesus cries out at this moment is that what he is suffering is spiritual spiritual suffering and the darkness that Matthew tells us that has descended on the land is real but it's also symbolic of the spiritual darkness that Jesus enters into as he takes sin upon ourself your sin and my sin the sin of the whole world on himself and descends into a spiritual darkness now notice what happens right after Jesus breathes his last breath Matthew tells us that at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, the curtain in the temple, what is that? This seems like a strange detail at this moment in the narrative. So why does Matthew tell us about this? The curtain in the temple was a barrier between the Holy of Holies, the place where a priest, a high priest, went once a year to make sacrifice for the atonement of the sins of the people. So in in its 60-foot height and 30-foot width glory, this curtain was a barrier to the forgiveness of sins. And when Jesus breathes his last, it is split in two and the barrier is destroyed. So what is the significance of this? If that temple is torn in two, There's no more barrier between human beings and God. There is no more need for a sacrificial system in which the blood of bulls and goats are given to purify our consciences. And that tells us that any other means than what Jesus has done on the cross to our reconciliation with God is finished. In John's Gospel, another narrative of Jesus' death, we actually hear Jesus' last three words, which are, it is finished. And that is what Matthew is telling us with this strange detail of a curtain being torn into. It is finished. Any barriers to the forgiveness of humanity's sin and rebellion has been finished once and for all. So back to our question. What does the suffering of Jesus mean? And does it make sense of the suffering in our world? What does it mean? It means that Jesus himself was cast into outer darkness so that we could be brought into the light. It means that Jesus was punished and killed so that we could have life. 
It means that Jesus took on the results of our disobedience so that we could be reconciled to a God who loves us. That is the gospel. But the question for us is, do we realize and have we internalized that Jesus finished the job? Do we believe him when he say it is finished? Because you see so many Christians, so many of us live sometimes like it's a work that we have to finish. We have to live in such a way as to please God or appease God. We have to do more to make God happy and keep God happy with us. That is not the God of the gospel. The work is finished and we must live into our identity as God's beloved and and forgiven children. If we live like it is not finished, we live as if the very sacrifice of Jesus on the cross was not enough. When in actual fact, you and I can look at the cross of Jesus Christ and look at him suffering and say, God has finished it. Because God loves me and did what I could not do for myself. The book of Hebrews, it's kind of hidden towards the end of the Bible. You may or may not be familiar with it, but it's basically one long theological essay on what Jesus' sacrifice means. And the author of Hebrews says this, Jesus entered once for all into the holy place beyond the curtain, Jesus entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Eternal redemption. Do you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22? It's an odd story. God tells Abraham to take his only son and to build an altar and to sacrifice him. And Abraham is obedient And he binds him and puts him on the altar. And before he can sacrifice him, the Lord stops him and says, Stop. Now I know that you love me because you have not withheld your son, your only son. You see, on the cross, God withheld nothing. He did not withhold his only son. So that we can look at God and say, Now I know that you love me. But how does it make sense of the suffering in our world? God becomes man and suffers a gruesome and agonizing death. Did you listen to what happened in the passion narrative today? So it can't be the case that God does not care about our suffering. It can't be the case that God doesn't care. Whether or not we can come up with a philosophical answer to the problem of human suffering, it can't be the case that the Christian God does not care about it because he entered into it himself and took on suffering in the deepest possible way. He suffered our injustice and evil. He shared in the forsakenness that we experience because of a world gone wrong. This is unique This is what's unique about Christianity, that God himself identifies with us in our suffering. There's no other religious faith that has a God who humbles himself 
to the point of death, even death on a cross, to identify with us in our suffering. In fact, it's a bit of an embarrassing detail. If you were trying to write a story and deceive people to believe in your God, it's, it's so embarrassing that the, 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 the narrative of what God does has to be true. It kind of has to be true because why would you include this a weak and suffering God who's humble and enters into human suffering? It's embarrassing unless it's true. Suffering demands not philosophical conjectures. It demands an actual solution. And that's what happens in the crucifixion of our Lord is we see on display the answer to all human suffering and we see a way forward that gives us hope beyond all suffering, even the suffering of death. So on this Passion Sunday, we are reminded of a passionate God, a God who suffers, who loves us so much that he would not withhold his only son. And we enter Holy Week not with guilt and shame, not with anxiety about how sinful we are or how much we can do to keep God happy, but with an inner peace, knowing our identity as God's beloved children. So while it is entirely appropriate to mourn this week, to shed tears as we remember our Lord's passion and suffering. That sorrow must have at its core a joy and a hope that comes from our gratitude for what God has done for us. So by all means, keep your eyes on the cross this week and keep your eyes on the tomb, but know that soon... Both will be empty. Amen.